Hello, people of the way. Um, it is uh, Resurrection Day, so uh, he is risen. Happy Resurrection Day. Um, something we're going to try a little different today. I have my uh, headphones, so hopefully it's uh, a little clearer. Uh, let me know if it, which, which, which sounds better for you guys. I think there was a little bit, kind of some uh, echo uh, with the, the old way where I just have it just sitting on my desk. But uh, this is uh, hopefully a little bit more clear. Uh, you might hear me <laughs> breathe a little... <laughs> You know, I'm a breather, and uh, or my, when I sip my tea or my water, you'll you'll hear it maybe. I don't know, uh, but just a little FYI that uh, that's uh, the the difference that we have going on today. But uh, turn with me if you have your Bibles with you today. We're in Acts chapter ten, and in continuation with where we left off, something that kind of. Um, Remember, the book of Acts spans about 40 years. You know, always keep that in mind. It's a, it's a large book in terms of uh, the span of time. Uh, but then also, you know, you see the manifold grace of God. You see how the Holy Spirit moves in the lives of different people, different, uh, 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 like the, the group of Jews that came to Jerusalem to give homage to the Lord. And in, in Acts chapter 2, you see the Holy Spirit uh, uh, how he moves within those people, giving, you know, when people thought that the, 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 they were drunk and Peter stands up and he's like, we're not drunk. You know, we have the power to have the Holy Spirit. You know, we're speaking in these languages and they gave them the gospel and all of a sudden, you know, the people were like, you know, what do we do? And Peter told them, you got to repent. And the people received Jesus Christ. The church is blowing up. And it's not just Jerusalem. When persecution came, you see that when Stephen died, there was that diaspora that you hear me mention quite a bit. The diaspora of the uh, of the Christians. Because it was very dangerous. It started to get a little bit more dangerous to be a Christian. And then at the same time, you see the Holy Spirit move in Jerusalem and in Judea and the outermost parts of the world. Just as the Lord uh, said. And so where we left off last week in chapter 9, you see that uh, there's two Stephens together, or two, the two Simons together. Uh, Simon, who was a tanner, and then uh, Brother Peter, Simon Peter. You know, they're both in Joppa at Peter's house, or at uh, Steve, uh, Simon's house. Okay, and so Peter lodged with uh, Simon in Joppa. And so here in verse 1 of chapter 10, remember there's Simon the tanner and Simon the apostle. But then Meanwhile, we have another meanwhile. That's what I love so much about the book of Acts. Other books too, but it's so cool here because it's like, you know, the Lord is saying, you know, this is what's happening with Philip. You know, this is what's happening with Peter. This is what's happening with Saul. This is what's happening with Ananias. This is what's happening in here. Now we get to a fellow by the name of Cornelius. Cornelius. And so here in verse 1 says, There was a certain man in Caesarea, Caesarea was about 34 miles north of Joppa. It's still a coastal region. So it's kind of like, you know, like uh, uh, Cannon Beach and Seaside. You know, they're both coastal regions. But the distance between Joppa and uh, Caesarea is about 34 miles. You know, so it's a, the, the distance from about from Salmon Creek to um, uh, like Kelso. So that, that's about the same distance. So it's not like super long, but it's not super far. But in terms of uh, walking, you know, it can be super far, you know. So it says in verse 1, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion. Now, centurion, you think of the word century being 100 years. Now, the centurion was kind of similar. It's a, it's a commander of 100 men. So this, this particular fellow, Cornelius, was a, a person of authority. 
It says a centurion of <clears throat> of what was called the Italian regiment. And so you see here the Italian regiment. It's kind of like the army, uh, you know, like the U.S. Army. You know, there's kind of separate uh, departments within the army where you have the special forces, you have regular army, and then you have like the reserves or like the Air National Guard or the National Guard. And so that's what the Italian regiment is like. It's kind of like a National Guard, kind of like a reserve troops. The, the regular army, they had to be Roman citizens. But of the Italian regiment, they were kind of like a backup or more a supportive role. Um, they were, there could have been some Romans in there, but it was predominantly non-Romans, people who were trying to earn their citizenship or gain citizenship. And so it was a kind of like a, 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 a cohort of a, a mixture of people. Now it's, it's so cool because you start to see the Holy Spirit shift focus. You know, remember, it's always to the Jew first, to the Jew first. Jesus Christ told the disciples, you know, to the Jew first, go and share the good news to the Jew first. But then something starts to happen where the focus starts to go to the Gentiles. That's you and me today. And it's so beautiful. Look what happens here. And so you see this figure by the name of uh, Cornelius. He's not just the, the average Joe. He's in a position of authority, but there's something different about him. Verse 2 says, he's a devout man. So you see this fellow who's showing devotion, you know, devotion unto the Lord. Keep in mind, he's a, he's a non-Jew. You figure, wow, you know, why is there a devout guy mentioned in the Bible who's not even a Jew? Well, you start to see the eyes of the Lord. He doesn't look on the exterior. He doesn't look at the exterior. You know the saying, don't judge a book by its cover? He doesn't care about the, the shell. He sees the heart. He sees the mind. And, you know, remember when our study in, the, in chapter 8, you see the other Simon. So there's like three Simons so far. You see the other Simon where the Holy Spirit was, you know, blessing and falling, up, falling upon the people. Except the Holy Spirit skipped over Simon. And then you start to read, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the, the Holy Spirit skipped over Simon because in chapter 8, verse 21, his heart was not right in the sight of God. And then Peter told him, I see that you are poisoned in verse 23 of chapter 8. I see that you're poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. You know, who knows whatever his source of bitterness was, whatever his source of iniquity was, but you know, he was poisoned by it. Nobody knew, except for Peter, you know, one of the heavies. Peter knew. You know, Philip, he didn't know. He was, you know, just, he was just kind of blending in, the Simon guy. But the Lord knew. The Lord knew he sees the heart. That's why it's so crazy, you know, in these days, you're going to see a lot more Simons in the church today. A lot more Simons. Well, who's going to be like the Philip? Who's going to be like the Cornelius? What we're about to see here, what happens in this chapter. We're probably not going to finish the chapter in one set, in one, you know, in, in one, uh, one meal. We're going to have to probably, you know, it'll be leftovers for next week. You know, and it's so I shouldn't say leftovers. It'll be another meal. You know, we'll see what the Lord has for us. But you see this guy, he's devout, non-Jew. 
the, uh, the, the makeup of these reservists of the Italian regiment, you know, a lot of them were Syrians. A large majority of them were Syrian. So he could have been Syrian or he could have been Roman, just, you know, oversight of this, you know, predominantly Syrian cohort of 100 soldiers. But you see this devotion that he had to God. And it's so cool because there's something different about Cornelius, the same way there's something different about you. You know, you have a group of friends. People say, hey, let's go to the club. You're like, no, thanks. It's ladies night. Let's go. We're going to get free beers. No, thanks. Or, you know, the fellows, you know, hey, we're going to go out and do this. No, thanks. It's church night. I got to go to church. Hey, we're under quarantine. Hey, I still got to go to church, listen to the message. Listen to the sermon. You know, I got to spend time in the word. I got to do these things. Or, you know, you're in a cafeteria environment and you see a kid, you know, he walks in he's with his bag. You're with your group of friends and you see this kid walk up, sit over in a table by himself. You know, he lays out his food, opens up his bag, lays out his food in front of him. And then he closes his eyes, you know, holds his hands together, bows his head and he starts to pray. He starts to pray something different about this kid. Something different about this guy. Something different about this girl. Devotion unto the Lord. And that's who this Cornelius was, a guy was. A de devout man in verse 2. And one who feared God. You see a nice little mixture going on here. What we're going to see in verse 2. In a devout man and one who feared God with all his household. Who gave alms generously. He was very charitable. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Now you figure, well, is this guy Roman? Is he non-Roman? You know, regardless of the matter, you know, he's not a Jew. He's not Jewish. You start to see the hand of the Lord is going to focus now on the Gentiles. That's you and me today. This Cornelius guy, look at the makeup of him. Devout, fear of God, charitable. He was a, a, a prayer and, you know, it was infectious for him because all of his household, you know, he feared God and all of his household feared God. It was infectious, whatever was in him, something different about him. He didn't go with the flow. Remember, never, ever forget dead fish go with the flow. It's a piece of cake to go with the flow. What's not a piece of cake is when everybody's going one direction is to turn around and go the opposite direction. That's not easy. That's not easy in the flesh, but in the spirit, it becomes more and more and more easy. The more you deny self, the more we carry our crosses, the more we reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead, and we're alive in Christ. It's a beautiful recipe for holiness. Look what the Lord is going to do with Cornelius. In verse 3, about the ninth hour, it's about, it equates to about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision. So it's not nighttime. It's not like a dream he's having. He's straight up having a vision. And it trips me out so much because it's like, you know, you have these mockers today who say, oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit, what you read in the book of Acts, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. These are mockers. You will not see an expiration date on the moving of the Holy Spirit. Never. Never in the Bible does it say, oh, that was just for this dispensation. They use all these big words. 
That was for that dispensation. You'll never see that in the Bible. Which begs the question, why don't we see this widespread moving of the Holy Spirit like we read in the book of Acts? Why don't we? I'll tell you the answer. Carnality. That's the answer. When you read the book of Acts and you see the church, you see the apostles, you see the disciple, you see the church growing, you see the baptism of the Holy Spirit befalling the church, you don't see that today. You see these prayer uh, uh, healing ministries and they say, wow, well, you know, you know, we're going to do this. We, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And then a week later, the guy, guy, guy dies of cancer. You know, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And the guy in the wheelchair comes in in a wheelchair. You know, healing is proclaimed on it, proclaimed, and he leaves in a wheelchair. You know, it's, it, people say, oh yeah, so because since that's the case, the Holy Spirit was reserved just for 2,000 years ago. Well, don't forget this. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And when I say God, I say Elohim, the triune nature of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Triune nature of God. Three in one. The same. The same. And then these people say, oh yeah, he, he works differently today than he did 2,000 years ago. The difference is the church. That's the difference. Playing games with the Lord. It's like, well, you know, I'll go to church on Sunday. I'll, I'll read my Bible. But then, you know, I'll put my Bible down and then I'll watch these horror movies. I'll put the Bible down and I'll play with my Ouija boards. I'll put the Bible down and I'll put a needle in my arm. I'll put the Bible down. I'll do my sexual stuff. But no, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. Such people are like Simon's in chapter 8. Where the Holy Spirit bypasses and skips over these people. That's not to say that the Holy Spirit, you know, will, will never go into these people. Peter even said, hey, your heart is not right in the sight of God. So, you know what you have to do? You have to repent. Repent of this wickedness. And that's the remedy for us today. That's the remedy for the church today. Repentance. Playing games with the Lord. Paul even warns, he says, you know, God's grace is so awesome. He says, does that mean that we should sin more so that grace can abound? He says, no way. That's not good. Because each individual Christian has to grow and has to mature. And so you see this Cornelius fellow in verse 3. He sees clearly in a vision. Clearly. Do visions happen today? Yes. Does the Lord speak to people in dreams? Yes, he does. I'm not trying to say, you know, you have a dream of whatever. And okay, thus saith the Lord kind of thing. You have to test the spirits. You know, it's not like you can be a crackhead. You know, you can't be like a sex addict, a crackhead, you know, doing your Ouija boards, doing your things of the demonic realm, you know, doing all kinds of crazy things of the occult. And then all of a sudden have a dream and say, oh, the Lord spoke to me. No, it doesn't work that way. You see these these things, when, when, when you see the Holy Spirit move in the book of Acts, look at who he speaks to. Look at who the angels speak to. Look closely at the particular individuals. And then read about what is said about their nature, 
such as Cornelius, a devout man who feared God, who was charitable. He was praying to the Lord. You see, it's not just the average Joe. Peter, it's not the average Joe. Philip, not the average Joe. And so he has a vision. People ask me, are, do, do people have visions today? Does the Lord speak to dreams? Absolutely, He can. I've told you guys this story, you know, when I had my vision, when I went to a Fuller Theological Seminary. What I don't speak a lot about is dreams that I have because I test the spirits. But, you know, the very first call that I received to be a pastor was through a dream. And then you wake up and you're like, whoa, Lord, you know, like, you pray. You pray hard. Lord, are you sure? I want to know for sure. Because I'll do it. I just want to know it's you. And you pray. And the Lord will confirm the path that he has. He'll confirm it in his word. He'll confirm it through other people. Not just other Joe Schmuckatellis. Godly people. Godly people. Devout people. Not the Simons who the Holy Spirit skipped over. Not those people. Devout people. People who fear God. People who have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's evidence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Not the ones who play games. Listen to those people. And it's so beautiful because it's like, wow, it's so cool how the Lord works. Especially what we read a couple weeks ago when we looked at the, uh, the prophecy in, uh, in uh, the book of Joel. Yahweh is God. In the book of Joel, look what it says here. In jo Joel chapter 2, verse 28, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. No period. No period. I will pour out my flesh. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see vis visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants. You know what that means? Men and women. Men, servants, and maidservants, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And so you have these mockers who say, oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. But wait a second. That's not what the Bible says. No expiration date. And it's not that I get on a high horse and say, oh, I'm right, they're wrong. I'm right, you're wrong. I don't, I, I don't get on that high horse. I get off that high horse. But the reason I make such a huge issue out of it big deal out of it it's a huge deal because people miss out people miss out what if i was a stupid pastor a foolish pastor you know the like of you know what you hear on tv the people have their josh mccatelli study bibles if i was the likes of that kind of individual and i teach hardcore that was for that dispensation, the Holy Spirit, that moved, That was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. And then what if the Lord came knocking on your heart? He gives you a dream. Or what if the Lord gives you a vision? 
And you're like, wow, you know, my pastor says that was for 2,000 years ago. Therefore, I should dismiss this. I don't know what it was, but you know what? I'm just going to forget about it. That's why I make such a big deal about it. It kind of makes me angry a little bit. It makes me sad even more so because it's like, wow, God's people miss out. What if the Lord gives you a vision? What if the Lord gives you a dream? And if you adhere to these doctrines of men, you'll say, oh, okay, that, that's for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. So, you know, I'll just chalk it up to, I don't know, whatever. And get on with my life. Go do what I got to do in the world. But you know what? Forget the world. The world is garbage. The world is fading. I don't want you to fade with it. It's to say, wow, let's look at what the Bible says. The Bible says, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall dream shall, shall see visions. And the Lord says he's going to pour out his spirit. And then we see in the book of Acts how the spirit is poured out. What happens to people when the spirit is poured out? And you say, hey, you know, I, something happened. I had a vision. I had a dream. Okay, let's pray. Let's pray and seek the Lord. Let's wait for him to give us some direction. Let's see what's really going on here. Let's test the spirits. Let's see whether it's of the Lord or not. And someone says, oh, I had a vision. He told me the angel came and spoke to me. And he says, I got to, you know, buy crack. I got to go buy crack. I got to cook spoons. I got to get the, the finest meth from Chiapas, Mexico. I got to cook all this stuff, make crack, boil it up, put it in a needle, stick it in my veins and put it, you know, push the little thing down and let it go in my veins. That's what the angel told me. Well, you know what? You were visited by a demon. That's a demon. That's not the Lord. It's a demon from the pit of hell. Or, you know, people just chalk it up. Oh, yeah, I had a vision, but you know what? I, I was tired. You know, nothing, it was just, yeah, I fell asleep for a little bit. Visions, dreams, the spirit of the Lord. In the last days, it's going to be on like Donkey Kong. Like straight up, hand-to-hand -hand combat. It's going to be straight up on. But where are the warriors? I used to wonder, you know, I used to ask myself, you know, like, Lord, where are the men? Where are the men? I don't ask that question anymore. I want to know, where are the warriors? And I don't mean like, you know, I won't talk smack. But I mean straight up warriors, fighters, people who don't mind to get down and dirty. That's what I want to know. <clears throat> And so you see how the Lord is speaking to Cornelius? In verse 3, it was daytime, about 3 p.m., about the ninth hour of the day. He saw clearly in a vision, clearly, an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. Cornelius! Exclamation point. Cornelius. I love this so much because he's known. He's known. I don't know the heart of Cornelius. I know it was beautiful. I know that I can consider him a friend. 
but I don't know the, you know, the nitty-gritty of what's going on in his heart. And Cornelius, when he prayed, who knows how he prayed? Did he pray to, you know, the God of the Jews when he would pray? Was it to the God of the Jews? Was it personal? What did he call him? What did, what did Cornelius call God when he prayed? I don't know. But what's so beautiful is that when the angel came down, the angel of God, he says, Cornelius. God knows him. God knows him. It's so beautiful because, you know, God calls people by name. Look at Isaiah. He calls Isaiah by name. He calls Samuel by name. You know, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel didn't know what to do. So he says to Eli, Eli, what do I do? I heard a voice. He said, oh, that's nothing. You know, Eli was like the, the, the foolish high priest who wanted to be best friends with his kids instead of being a dad, instead of being a God-fearing father, a God-fearing dad, and training his kids up in the way they should go. He said, oh, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. I wonder who told him, oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. Don't worry about it. And finally, he just got so fed up with little Samuel. He just says, oh, you know what? Like, just say, here I am. Here I am, Lord. And so little Samuel, he's in bed. He sees, he hears, he hears the voice cry out. Samuel, says, here I am. And then all of a sudden, the Lord speaks to him. It's so cool because the Bible teaches in those passages that there's no widespread revelation in those days. The Lord was silent. The Lord was quiet. Except the eyes of the Lord were on Samuel. You wonder today when people say, oh, the Holy Spirit doesn't move like he did 2,000 years ago, or it was just for that day and age. It's not for today. I wonder if there's no widespread revelation today because the Lord sees the heart of man. But I wonder if he sees a little Samuel. I wonder if he sees a Cornelius. I wonder if he sees an Ezekiel, an Isaiah, a Philip. I wonder. That's why it's like, I don't ask the question anymore, Lord, where are the men? I don't ask that anymore. Where are the warriors? Men, women, young, old, it doesn't matter. Lord, where are your warriors? He sees, you know, the angel of God comes to him and says, Cornelius, in verse 4, and when he observed him, he was afraid. I mean, naturally so. And said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers, notice the, the lowercase l. He knows that he's not speaking to the Lord. He's speaking to an angel of God. He says, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. How beautiful is this? Because the memorial here, it translates as like a, 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 a memorandum or like a record for future use. And this future use, the time is right here and right now what's happening with Cornelius. For such a time as this. So all these years, I don't know how long Cornelius, if he prayed all his life, if he prayed for the last year, if he prayed for the last six months, 
maybe the events with Jesus Christ, maybe, you know, it was like, wow, you know, I used to make fun of Jesus Christ when he was here on earth. I heard about him. I've heard about his exploits and I used to make fun of him, but I heard the account, you know, he was on the cross and when he died, I heard there was a great earthquake. I heard all, you know, the, the, what happened with the temple and man, it freaked me out. And you know what? I believe he was the son of God. I don't know. But my mind just runs wild, beautifully wild. So curious. And the angel tells him, you know what? Your prayers and your alms. So all this time when he would pray, he was so devout. When he would pray, people say, hey, Cornelius, let's go hang out. No, I got to pray. Hey, Cornelius, come over here. Let's go. Let's go do this stuff together. No, I'm sorry. You know, I love you, man, but you know, I want to pray. Remember, something's different about this guy. He was devout, showing devotion to God. He was set apart. Something different. The same way you and I are set apart. Something different about the people of the way. And I don't mean the way Christian fellowship. In one sense, I do. But I mean the people of the way. People who are abiding in Christ. Something different about these folk. And the angel tells him your prayers and your alms. All the charitable deeds he was doing. And not just char charitable, you know, giving alms. He was giving alms generously. Oh, you need t 10 bucks? Here's 20. Oh, you need 100? Here's 200. Your prayers and your alms have come up as for a memorial. Like a, a record or a memorandum. The Lord was seeing the whole time. The Lord was watching. He sees. The Lord sees him. The Lord knows. Just like the Lord saw Moses. Just like the Lord saw Hannah. Remember when her prayers? Eli, the high priest who wanted to be friends with his kids. He thought she was drunk. He looks at Hannah praying. He's like, Hannah, you're crazy. You're drunk. That's the high priest. The high priest should have said, Hannah, you know what's the matter? You know what, Hannah, let me pray with you. You know what, Hannah, let's pray together. You know what, Hannah, let's fast. Let's pray together. Oh, you know what, Hannah, you know, I hear your needs. Let me, you know, you go home, you be at peace, and let me go talk to the Lord. Let me go pray for you. That's what Eli should have did. But no, he's like, oh, making fun of her. Oh, you're drunk, Hannah. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. It's so crazy. This, you know, and nothing new under the sun. There is, you know, these things that are captured in the Old Testament. Number one, they're for our admonition, but they're also for our exhortation. Because we can be of good cheer because when we come across these situations, understand that there's nothing new. It's happened before. And so, you know, the Lord sees the heart of men. The Lord sees the heart of women. He knows these things. He knows you. Just like Moses, Hannah, and now Cornelius. And if there happens to be somebody listening to my very words right now, and who is a non-believer, even your heart, even your heart, you say, oh, pfft, that's crazy. 
What in the world are you talking about? I'm telling you the truth. The relationship that the Lord wants with his creation. He desire. Remember, the Bible says Old Testament and New Testament that he is long-suffering. Long-suffering. You know what that means? Suffering for a long time. A long time he's been suffering. My creation is estranged from me. No matter what, he loves you. It's the sin that separates people from God. Separates man from his or her maker. Sin. And that sin has to be atoned for by blood. It's the only way by blood. Now, I'm not speaking about the blood of the Old Testament through animals. Those were a shadow of things to come. I'm speaking about the, the, the blood of the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the only begotten Son. That's a transfer, a life transfer, sentence transfer, life for life. It's so beautiful what's happening here with Cornelius. And so the Lord gives him, through this angel, very, very specific instructions. Verse 5. Now, send men to Joppa, and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Remember, you know, there's two Simons, remember. And the Lord even tells him, you know what? Not just any Simon. Simon, whose surname is Peter. The Lord, you see how the Lord is choreographing the Lord, not man. I say that with such, mm, I don't know how to say it, such sincerity. Because what you see in a lot of ministries today is a lot of coordination by men. A lot of choreographing by the hand of men. And I could even say a lot of manipulation by men. A lot of compulsion by pastors. Oh, if you want to be a part of what God is doing, then you'll do this. It's like a guilt trip. If you want to be a part of what the hand of God, then you'll join me in this. You'll join me in going to Zimbabwe. Or you'll join me in sending me off to Zimbabwe. By the way, I need $20,000 a month. So therefore, if you want to be a part of what God is doing, you'll tithe, you'll do all these things. That's what's happening today. And the Holy Spirit sees. The Holy Spirit knows. He sees it all. But look at what's happening here in the Bible. Very specific instructions. Just like he did with Philip. Remember Philip, when he, the, the angel of the Lord gave Philip specific direct directions? Go here, go here, go here. The Lord is doing it here with, with uh, uh, um, uh, Cornelius. Send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Very specific. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner. So he, he mentions there's Simon the tanner and Simon, whose surname is Peter. Two Simons. In this chapter, chapter 8, there's the third Simon, which is the bad Simon, the one that the Holy Spirit skipped over because of his wickedness. He says he is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. You see these very, I meant like, like today, you know, you 
take an address, you put it in your phone, boom, you put a pin in it, and then, you know, you hit a little button, get directions, it'll ask you, do you want to walk, do you want to drive, or how are you getting there? You can say bus, certain cities, you know, it has a transit, it'll say, okay, take bus number 10, at this time, it'll tell you how to get there. But what about when you don't have that technology? And the Lord is very specific. You know, go to Joppa. You know, there's a house by the sea. So when you get to Joppa, you just go to the, like, you know, knock on doors. You know, is Stephen here or is Simon here? He says, oh, no, 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 you got the wrong house. Oh, okay, sorry to bother you, ma'am. Go to the next house. Oh, is Simon here? Oh, no, you got the wrong house. He's two doors down. You see that blue house over there? It's that one. Which, that blue house? No, 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 the other one with the garage door open. Oh, okay. You see, the Lord is very specific. He's giving these instructions. Send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. You know, Cornelius is known by God. And you know what? So are Peter and Simon. So are Peter and Simon, known by God. And God is the one who's orchestrating. He's orchestrating. Sometimes when the Lord guides, you know, where God guides, He provides 100% of the time. But sometimes when God leads you to a certain area, a certain direction, you know, sometimes there's ambiguity, which is clarified in time. And, you know, sometimes it's immediate, which we're about to see here. And then sometimes when the Lord guides in a specific direction, it is crystal clear. Crystal clear. Ambiguity erases. There is no ambiguity. When the Lord speaks, you know. A lot of times people seek direction in life. Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? I mean, if you're playing games with the Lord, if you're like a... A lukewarm Christian, you got one foot in the world and one foot in, in in the church. That's not good. That's called being a lukewarm Christian. You know, the question, you don't even ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because the Bible is explicit, crystal clear what he wants you to do. He wants you to carry your cross, reckon the old man dead, reckon the old woman dead, and be equipped. That's what he wants. He doesn't want anybody to play games with him. And so say you're like, okay, I'm not going to play games with God anymore. You repent, you grow, you matriculate, you grow. You're going to hear the voice of the Lord better because you're more in tune with Him. You're more aligned to His frequency. And people always say, Lord, what do you want for my life? Are you abiding in Christ? Yes, I am. Okay, praise the Lord. And if the Lord's not giving you direction today, wait, pray, but wait. And the closer you get to the heart of God, the clearer you will see. The clearer you will hear. It's very intimate. Intimacy with your maker. Intimacy with the one who formed you in your mother's womb. Intimacy with the one you pray to. The one you love. The one who loves you back. Intimacy. 
And so there's no ambiguity. I mean, sometimes there is, but you know what? Ambiguity, the muddiness, the murkiness, it goes, it, it, it erases completely the closer your heart is with the heart of God. And that comes from the Word of God. Remember, the Word became flesh. The more you take your heart, rip it out of your chest, and place it in the book set before you. Place it in the Word of God. And the, the easier, the, the, the clearer you'll be able to see, the clearer you'll be able to hear. And look at what the Lord is doing here. In verse um, 7, And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout and a devout soldier. Remember, remember that Cornelius is contagious. His devotion is contagious because in verse 2 it says that he feared God with all his household. So there's something about him where it's like, man, I don't know what that guy has, but whatever it is, I want some of that too. It was contagious. So you have his servants, two of his household servants, and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So he has is a, a, an attendant and two servants. And you see, it's like, wow, you know, you see the obedience of Cornelius. Because the angel departed, and what does he do? Hey, servants, come over here. Hey, soldier, come over here. i got a task for you. And he, he says in verse 8, So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. You see a picture of the obedience of Cornelius. So he feared God. I mean, this is a beautiful makeup that he has. Beautiful character that he has. He feared God. He was devout, he feared God, he was charitable, he prayed, and he obeyed. It's a nice combo. Very nice combo for a guy. Very nice combo for a gal. Very nice combo for a kid, for an old person. And God sees these things. This is the makeup of a guy who's far different from Simon in chapter 8. In verse 9, the next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city. So remember, so you have the uh, uh, um, the three of them, you know, so there's the two servants and, you know, a soldier. So you have three guys. They go south about 34 miles. Just remember, it's like the distance of, it'd be like, you know, they're in Kelso and they come down to Salmon Creek. So they, they, they start their journey. They drew near the city. But Meanwhile, I love all these meanwhiles in the book of Acts because it's like you start to see the manifold grace of God, his handiwork. He's a little bit over here, a little bit over here, a little bit over there, a little bit way over here, a little bit here. And he's doing it in the lives of people. And the church is growing. The Holy Spirit is moving. So meanwhile, in verse 9, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So it's like noon, around noon, lunchtime. I have to drink some tea. <clears throat> if you hear these pauses, that's what I'm doing. I'm you know, drinking some tea, something hot. In verse 10, says, so Peter, he's praying. And so he's on the top of the house, on the housetop. So he goes to the roof of the house and he starts to pray like a little balcony, like a portico. 
in verse 10, then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, so remember, he's in Simon's house, Simon the Tanner, he's in Simon's house. So like he's, Peter's on the roof and Simon, you know, or the, the whoever's in his house, maybe he has servants too. They're making ready, they're preparing a meal, you know, it's lunchtime. So it's like, okay, I'm going to make lunch, you know, the people in the, in the house, we're going to make lunch. But something happens to Peter when he's up on the, on the roof. He fell into a trance. This word translates as ecstasy. You know, you have the worldly term for ecstasy, you know, like a drug that, you know, kids, dumb people take, you know, but this word ecstasy, it's the, you know, their mind is elsewhere. That's what it, how it translates it, ecstasy. It's like your mind is elsewhere. And I love it so much in terms of with biblical application, not worldly application where, you know, the kids take their ecstasy, they do all their stupid stuff, blinded by Satan. But no, you see Peter here. He's on the roof. He's praying. Yeah, he's hungry, except he fell into a trance. He fell into this state of ecstasy where his mind is elsewhere. I love this so much. Because there's that dumb saying. People say like, you know, oh, that's such a great saying. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I hate that so much. Stupid, stupid, stupid. And you know what I say? Be heavenly minded. Yeah, you're you're here in the world, but man, let your mind be on Christ. Let your mind be in the word of God. Let your mind be on heavenly things. Because you know what? A lot of people, their minds are on carnal things. They might be sitting down eating dinner with you at the table. They might be, you know, talking with you, telling you that, you know, whatever. They might be, oh, this is my best friend. But you know where their mind is at? Their mind is at the strip club. Their mind is on the crack pipe. Their mind is on whatever. Their mind is on their money. Their mind is on their bank account, their investments. Their mind is... No. Let your mind be on Christ. Let your mind be in the Word of God. Let your mind be on heavenly things. Let your mind be on Zion. Ecstasy. Your mind is elsewhere. And people say, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Well, you know what? You are no earthly good when you're a Christian. You are no earthly good. This world doesn't, it's, it's not for us. It's not for us. This world is fading. You know, we're here, but we're just sojourners. We're just passing through, just passing by. Just passing by. Fishermen, you know, it's like you're like a small town and you see like these strangers walk through. You're like, who are these people? Oh, they're just walking by, walking through, going from, you know, this city to this city. We just happen to be a little town in between. They're just walking through. That's like us. That's like the Christians. We're just walking through except we have our fishing poles. Fishers of men, fishers of women, young and old. And I love this so much because Peter's mind is on, you know, he's he fell into a trance. And look at what he saw. God is showing him something. In verse 11, this is what he sees in his trance, in his state of ecstasy when his mind is elsewhere. In verse 11, you know, it trips me out. It's like, you know, you, the, his mind fell into a trance. It translates as ecstasy. It's something beautiful where his mind is on deep heavenly things, beautiful, beautiful things. And what does Satan do? He turns it into a drug and says, oh, yeah, let's call this ecstasy. 
You see how Satan likes to pervert things of the world of, of the word of God? Just like the rainbow, what a beautiful promise that the Lord has for all of creation. When you see a rainbow, it's like a reminder, God's promises. But then you see what Satan turns the rainbow in, what the symbol of the rainbow means in accordance with the world. He likes to pervert, Satan likes to pervert things of God. And so this is what God is showing him in verse 11. And saw heaven opened, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him, and let down to, to earth. So he sees like this big, huge sheet falling down and coming down to the earth. In it, in verse 12, were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. These things that he's seeing are unclean, unclean things according to the law, according to the letter of the law. That's what he's seeing. That's what he's seeing. It's like a picnic. You know, you lay a blanket down and you put the food on it. It's kind of like that's what the Lord is showing him, a picnic. I think it's so cool because remember, he's he's also hungry. <laughs> you know, in the carnal sense, you know, he goes up to the top of the roof to pray. In verse 10, you know, he's hungry. He wanted to eat. So the Lord says, you know what? I'm going to show him something. I'm going to give him, show him a vision. And he sees the, all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild bees, creeping things, and birds of the air. In verse 13, and a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Red letters, notice. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord. Notice the capital L. The Lord knows the voice, or Peter knows the voice of the Lord. Not so, Lord. It's not an unfamiliar voice. He's not like, you know, Samuel the first time when he first heard the voice of the Lord. Samuel's like, who, who, what am I hearing? What is this? What am I hearing? Peter, at one point in his life, might have said, what am I hearing? What is this? You know, when the Lord says, hey, you know, come follow me. Maybe there was like a fraction of a thought, like, you know, what do I do? Is this? And then that's what's so beautiful about a relationship. Relationships gets deeper and deeper. A love relationship gets deeper and deeper and deeper. So he hears the voice say, rise, Peter, kill and eat. He says, not so, Lord. He knows the voice. It's not unfamiliar. It's a familiar voice. He says in verse 14, For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Never. Kind of shows a little picture about Peter. When the Lord said, Hey Peter, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. A fisher of men. Kind of gives a little picture of Peter too. You know, you have the religious establishment but then you have the non-establishment. Peter said, I haven't eaten anything common or unclean. I've never had it. In verse 15, and a voice spoke to him. Again, the second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Or what God has made clean, you must not call unclean. Whoa, this is heavy. What God has made clean, you must not call unclean. You say, 
What do you mean it's heavy? It's just written plainly here. Yes, it's written plainly. But put your finger here and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9 really quick. In Hebrews chapter 9. I guess this is kind of like a little... Uh, uh, it's a good good note to touch on, especially since we're about to enter into uh, some of the writings of the law in our Wednesday studies. In Hebrews 9, look at, uh, let's start in verse 6. This is what the writer of Hebrews has to say, which I can make a hardcore argument that it's Paul, which I've done before. Um... But not today. Look at verse 6. Hebrews chapter uh, 9 verse 6. Now, when these things had been thus prepared, the priests all the, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. It's kind of interesting because on Wednesday we're looking at the, the building of the tabernacle. Remember, the tabernacle has uh, 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 three different areas. There's the outside of the tent, which is like a, the, the, the main tabernacle is like a rectangle. And so you walk inside to the east side. You know, the, the gate is on the east side, always on the east. It's always oriented east. And so you walk in through the gate. And then what do you see? You walk in and you see the altar there. You see uh, uh, um, the, the and then you see like another tent. And inside that tent has two chambers. One chamber is the holy place. And in the smaller chamber is the holy of holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant is. In accordance with the law. And so look what it says in verse 6. The priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. So they go from the uh, the courtyard inside the, the tabernacle. They go from that courtyard and they go inside the tent, you know, which is inside the, the tabernacle. But they don't go to the Holy of Holies. They just go inside the tent, which is called the holy place. And it says performing the services. That's where the showbread is, and you know that's where the uh, 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 the lampstand in is a shadow of the things to come. I mean, we read our studies in Revelation. You see the exact same thing on earth as it is in heaven. Remember, you read the uh, uh, Zechariah, and what do you see in Zechariah's vision? He sees what is revealed in Revelation, and what is the blueprints that God is giving to Moses. It's a shadow of the things to come, a shadow of future things. And so it says, but into the second part, which is the holy place, the holy of holies. But into the second part, verse 7, the high priest. So it wasn't just the, the regular priests. It was the high priest. Went alone once a year, not without blood which he offered for himself and for the people's sin committed in ignorance. You see, so this high priest was like an intercessor for the people. In verse 8, the Holy Spirit indicating this. These are major, major verses. So, you know, if, if you're kind of distracted, just hit pause and get undistracted. In verse 8, the Holy Spirit indicating this, that... The way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. This is a hardcore verse. So like what we're studying in the book of uh, uh, Exodus, 
about the blueprints. Even when we get into Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, even when we get into those books, you're going to see beautiful, beautiful, beautiful things, how the Lord communes with the people, how the high priest intercedes for the people. And in no way will I ever advocate the law. But remember what this verse says, that the Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. You say, what do you mean? We're reading about it in Exodus. We're reading about it in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. We're going to see it all over the Old Testament in the tabernacle. We're going to see it in the temple. We're going to see it in Solomon's temple. We see it in Herod's temple. We see these things. What on earth do you mean that it's not yet made manifest? Well, the Lord reveals. It's symbolic. In verse 9. It was symbolic. For the present time, for right here and now, in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot, it's a big words, cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to conscience, concerned only with foods and drinks various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. This is a huge deal, especially as preparation for our entry into legal matters. Yes, legal, I got some air quotes there. Because remember, it's a shadow of the things to come. This, what he says, imposed until the time of reformation, it translates as messianic restoration. Messianic restoration. Very, very, very important that you hold on to these things and grasp these things. Because I'll tell you what Satan does. We'll, we're going to study the book of the Old Testament. We're going to look at things of the law. And people, in their desire to honor the Lord, in their desire to be obedient to the Lord, Satan will say, you know what? The Old Testament says this, therefore, you should do this too. And the people who don't know truth, the people who've been listening to swindlers, people who've been wanting their ears itched, ears scratched by false teachers, pastors that want to be their best friends, pastors that want to be their drinking buddy, They'll get swayed. They'll get seduced into the law. But never ever forget this. It's symbolic. It's symbolic for a future time. It's symbolic for the here and now. So the foods, the drinks, like we get into the law. And we're going to see like, you know, the Bible says in the Old Testament, don't eat this, don't eat this, don't eat that, don't eat that. And there's Christians today, Christians today. And I have to say this too, as a little, uh, I say these things and I'm very, very, very careful because what I don't want to do is just mow over your conscience like it's, like it's no big deal. Because people in their 
in their own personal devotion to the Lord, in their heart of hearts, they say, you know what, Lord, your Bible says this, don't eat, you know, shrimp, don't eat pork, so I'm not going to eat it. And you know what? It's okay. It's completely okay. But I'm telling you by, I don't want to sound like official or anything, but you know, by all the authority vested in me by the hand of God, in accordance with the word, it's symbolic. You know, not, you know, you hear me say sometimes, you know, that milk is good for babies, which is true. It's a biblical truth, but you know, the, the milk of the word of God is good, but it's for babies. And I say, move on to the spiritual pork chops. I say that with so much specificity. The pork chops, the meat of God's word. Because sometimes people will be like, whoa, what do you mean pork chops? Pork is forbidden. You know, the hooved animals, it's forbidden. Well, in accordance with the letter of the law, it's forbidden. But I don't advocate for the letter of the law in any way, shape, or form. Because the spirit of the law speaks loud and clear. It's all symbolic. For the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him perfect who performed the service perfect, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to conscience, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation, imposed until the time of messianic restoration. The messianic restoration happened. It happened already. Jesus Christ on the cross. He's hanging on the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Even when he hears the people, when the Pontius Pilate, when he shouts out to the people, who do you want? You want this Jesus or do you want this Barabbas? They say, give us Barabbas. They say, whoa, Pilate was like, well, what are you talking about? This guy is innocent. And then they cry out again. His blood be on us and our children. It'd be one thing. I'm not condoning it. It'd be one thing if Jesus Christ was in another room and he didn't hear that. But he was straight up right there. Right there and he hears it. Already beaten, already stricken. Already scourged. Already bloody. Beard ripped out. A crown of thorns pressed into his head. And then all of a sudden they say, you know, Pilate was like, who do you want? They said, give us Barabbas. But Jesus is innocent. They cry out. His blood is beyond us and our children. Okay, he heard that. And you're going to see what's happening here in our study in the book of Acts. This door for the Jews, it's closing. And now it's going to open for the Gentiles. And it's not closed to the Jews, period. There's going to be a period of silence for the Jewish people. 
prophetically speaking, until what the Bible calls the fullness of the Gentiles, which I can make a very, very strong argument, especially this day. I mean, five years ago, I could have made a strong argument. Today, I can make an incredibly strong argument that this door of grace for the Gentiles is just about to close. And I don't mean to sear over anybody's conscience by speaking about, you know, because I have Christian friends. You know, old people, young people, well, not so much young people, mostly old people. Not so much anymore, you know. I used to have friends that, they go, you know, let's go out, let's go have some, you know, shrimp tacos. Oh, I, I don't eat shrimp. I read the Bible and that's like, you know, that's a scavenger. It's, it's not healthy. So what is it? Are you not eating it for the Lord? Or are you not eating it because of the health reasons? Well, God wants me to be healthy, you know, so I have to do this. Okay, okay. That's fine. I'll, I'll have your lentils. We'll eat lentils. You know? And I, on my way home, get some fish tacos or some shrimp tacos. Get some pork chops on the way home because I'm dying of hunger. This is what the Bible teaches. Because we're gonna get we're gonna be in the law for a long time now. When we get into Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, but never forget these passages. And I'm gonna point make a specific mention of these passages and say, hey, don't forget. So remember this. Bind it on your heart. Because all these things that we're gonna study in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, it's symbolic. Imposed until the time of reformation. Imposed until the time of messianic restoration. So what's happening with Peter, when he was in a trance, when he was having his vision, and what he sees, it's not a small thing. It's not a fluke either. It's specifically from the Lord. And so, let's go back to Acts chapter 10 really quick. In Acts chapter 10. Verse 15 says, And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed or what God has made clean, you must not call common or unclean. This was done three times. <laughs> I think this is cool so much. This was done three times. It's almost like it's almost like Peter didn't get it. And so, you know, it says, you know, n- number one, uh, like in verse 15, number one, the voice spoke to him a second time. But then in verse 16, this was done three times. And I think this is so incredibly beautiful. Because it says this was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven again. So it kind of seems like a picnic, you know, like you put a picnic down. You have, you know, you have put the blanket down, you put the food on top. And then it's like, you know, you sit down and you eat. And that's what the Lord is showing him in a in a vision. He puts the blanket down like a big sheet, and there's all this food all over. You know, creeping things, beasts, birds of the air. Because in accordance with the letter of the law, it's like, wow, I'm not going to eat this stuff. These are dirty. In accordance with the letter of the law. But what we read in Hebrews 9, all those things are symbolic. It was imposed in the law and through the law. Until the time of reformation. Until the time of messianic restoration. And you know what? 
the Messiah has come. The Messiah has come. And so it's like, you see how it's done three times. The voice spoke to him the second time. And it's I love it so much because have you ever received direction from the Lord? And in your heart of hearts, you're like, are you sure, Lord? You know, are you sure? I hear you, Lord. And I don't mean any disrespect, Lord. I, I don't forgive me for my own faithlessness, Lord. But are you sure? It's not, you know, when you see this love relationship that God has with his people, Old Testament and New Testament, it's not like God imposing his will, you know, like, oh, God is like, boom, you're under his thumb. And, you know, I'm not a Calvinist. I don't read the Bible with Calvinistic lenses, the foggy lenses, like a fool. You know, people say, God is sovereign, God is sovereign, God is sovereign, God is sovereign. Yes, he's sovereign. So you know what? Live like he is. Live like he is. Why don't you behave like he's sovereign? You tell me all the time, God is sovereign, God is sovereign. But I look at your life. Where is his sovereignty in your life? You're the one who's saying he's sovereign. So where is his sovereignty in your life? Where is his sovereignty in your home? Where is his sovereignty in your business? Where is his sovereignty in your taxes? You try to cheat the system. You try to game the system. Where is God's sovereignty in your marriage? Where is God's sovereignty in the work of your hands? When you go to your employer and you say, you know, you, you worked overtime. You worked, you know, 50 hours a week when you only worked three. Where is God's sovereignty? You remember in Isaiah 1, God is the one who says, come and let us reason together. Remember Ananias when he's praying to the Lord, Lord, I hear your voice. I'm praying to you and you tell me to take this guy Saul in. But, you know, let me tell you about the Saul guy. He's, he's killing Christians. He's coming against the, the brethren. He's imprisoning them. And the Lord tells him, he doesn't say the first thing, you know, the God doesn't say the first time, Ananias, you are under my thumb. I am sovereign. Therefore, you will do this. And Ananias is like a robot. No, Ananias, he gave his fear to the Lord. He wasn't like, you know, okay, you know. The Lord does say it, the Lord, therefore, I will do it. I mean, that's, that's good to have, you know, does say it, the Lord and then immediate obedience. But God knows his sheep. God knows. God speaks. You can give your fears to the Lord. Like Ananias. Yes, Lord, I hear your voice, but I'm freaked out. I heard stories about this Saul guy. And then the Lord reassures him. It's okay. I'm going to use this guy as a vessel for the Gentiles. You know the... The plan that God had for, for Saul, he told Ananias first. <laughs> you know, Saul has his intimacy with the Lord. He goes and, you know, speaks with the Lord. And the Lord speaks to him. The Lord tells him, this is what I'm going to do with you. But prior to that, he told Ananias to comfort Ananias. Not so Ananias can be like, wow, you know, I found out first. No, it's to comfort him. And Ananias gave him his fears. Lord, I'm freaked out. 
I'll do it, Lord. But man, Lord, I'm so scared. I don't want to go to Jerusalem. I don't want to be bound in chains. I don't, I don't want that. That's what's so beautiful about a love relationship with the Lord. Give Him your fears. Give Him your failures. Give Him everything. All of you. Uh, give Him 100% of you. The core of your essence. You know, not just... You invite Him into your heart. You know, you say, okay, I, my living room is nice and clean in my heart. I vacuum it every day. It's well dusted. You know, when you have visitors, this is where you come. You sit right here. What if the visitor says, oh, I want to use the bathroom. Okay, I have this bathroom that nobody uses. It's designated for you. visitors. It looks nice. It smells nice. It's well painted. It's got this nice everything. Everything looks beautiful. Oh, can I go in this room? Can I open this closet? No, Lord. That's where I keep my dirty stuff. That's where I keep my drugs. That's where I keep my sexual stuff. That's where I keep this, my meth. That's where I keep all this stuff. Don't go in that room. Well, if you have that mindset, don't call Jesus Lord. Because you call him Lord. But you're restricting him. That's what I mean when I say give him all of you. The Lord says, I love this living room. It's really nice. I see how you made it nice and tidy. But you know what? I want to go into this back room. You say, okay, Lord. I'm ashamed of what you're going to see. I'm ashamed of, you know, it's dirty. It's not clean. I haven't cleaned it in a year. And I'm ashamed of what you're going to see. Oh, I got my crack in there too. I got my meth in there. You might find some dirty magazines in there. I'm so ashamed. You know what I say? Give your shame to the Lord. Don't stop calling him Lord when you feel shame. In your shame, give your shame to him and give him, he'll change it. You say, Lord, I give you my shame. Yeah, Lord, I got meth in there. You give him your shame. Yeah, Lord, I got crack in there. I got sexual stuff in there. Give it to him. And you know what he'll do? He'll take that garbage and throw it out the window. And say, yep, thank you. I'm cleaning house. I'm cleaning house. You know what? This meth, we're getting rid of this stuff. These sexual magazines, we're getting rid of this garbage. This, you know, crack from, you know, Chiapas, Mexico. It's garbage. It's nothing. And you just stand back. Okay, Lord, have your way. Have your way, Lord. And something happens inside of your heart, inside of a heart of a man, a woman, young, old, it doesn't matter. Something happens. Your nature starts to change. The green grass starts to grow again. Something beautiful starts to emerge again. A new creation. That's what happens. And it's so cool because you see Peter, the voice spoke to him a second time. And then the vision, three times it happened. And I think it's so cool because you know what? It's a beautiful invitation that the Lord has for all of us. Come, let us reason together. I want to reason with you. I want you to do this for me.
And you say, Lord, I'm afraid. And he'll give you reassurance. He'll give you comfort. He'll give you confidence. He'll give you strength. He'll give you exactly what you need. That's what I mean when I say, where God guides, he provides. People think, okay, where God guides, he provides. Therefore, I'm going to have a $10,000 check. No, people always think in money. Always. People always think about their money. But where God guides, he will provide. You're feared? You're afraid? Full of fear? Give it to the Lord. He will provide for you. He will give you courage. He will give you strength. He will give you power. That's how he works. Biblically, that's how he works. Mockers, they say, oh yeah, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. Oh yeah, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Okay. Live like it. You say God is sovereign? Live it, brother. Live it, sister. Otherwise, don't call him sovereign. You see? There's always two sides to every coin. People show you the heads. You say, okay, I get what you're saying. Flip it. What's up with these tails over here? It's so cool how the Lord works. This was done three times for Peter. And verse 16 says, And the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, a little side study, you know. You know, it, it, uh, uh, Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 really quick. I shouldn't say a side study. It's in correlation with where we're at. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 8. Now, the, what, the hardcore look that we did in Hebrews 9. Keep that frame of mind. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. But food does not commend us to God. This is Paul to the church in Corinth. This is in... Right around the time where Paul is hitting them hardcore with some certain truths. And here in verse 8, food, But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. So you know how I gave you the story of, you know how... I'll go meet with the brother, meet with the sister, and say, yeah, let's get something to eat. Let's get some fish tacos. Let's get some uh, shrimp tacos. And they say, oh, no, 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 I don't eat shrimp. You know, it's, it's, uh, it, the, the, the Bible says it's not clean. Okay. I won't eat shrimp, you know. How about we get some pork chops and we barbecue? No, 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 the Bible says it's not clean. Okay. Okay. I'm not going to argue with you. It's okay. I get where you're coming from. That's, it's not to say that I have immense liberty in Christ, which I do, which you do. I mean, take for example, if, you know, we, we get together for dinner. And you say, yep, Jay, I'm going to barbecue whatever you bring over. I say, okay, I'm going to bring pork chops over. And I know that you like are hardcore into like the law. You know, and you're like, I don't eat shrimp, I don't eat hooved animals, I don't eat pigs, I don't eat pork, no nothing. 
and I come under you say, come over and we're going to barbecue whatever you bring over. And I bring over the, the best pork chops from Chiapas, Mexico. <laughs> so I, I bring over the like, killer pork chops. Like, okay, what you got? I open up the bag, you know, the rip, you know, rip it open. And you see pork and you're like, oh, no, that's pork. You know how cruel that would be for me to take my liberty and make that be a stumbling block for you? In that situation, I'm the one who's in the wrong. That's why I don't make a big argument about it. But biblically... I can make a huge argument about it. Biblically, I can even be right about the matter. But I won't be justified in the matter. You say, what do you mean? It's it's possible to be biblically accurate. It's possible to be biblically right. But it's possible at the same time to not be justified. Yes. Because this is what Brother Paul writes. Beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? So this is you know, speaking about food. But what happened in the church in Corinth, they, were, they had like all these idols. All, I mean, it was, think of like... Um, Think of like downtown Portland, okay? Downtown Portland, or is like you might have a church on a corner, and then you know, a couple buildings down, you have a strip club, you know, and a couple buildings down, you have a, a, a mosque, and then a couple doors down, you have Baha'i, and then you have you know, a Catholic church, a Catholic, I don't like calling it a church, a Catholic institution, Virgin Mary on the roof, and then you know, you go the other direction, you see the Mormon temple. So there's all these different religions, different whatever, all over the place. And then you have like the weird gods, people who worship like, you know, Gaia and all the sexual stuff. It's, that's what it was like in Corinth. And so people would say like, wow, you know, we're going to have this, you know, we're going to have a meal. But man, this this butcher, they make this meat for, you know, the, the, the god of sex. You know, and it, literally the god of sex. I forgot the name, like... Um, Artemis, Artemis, and you see, like, yeah, I mean, we'll study this when we get further, actually, in the book of Acts, we'll study this more, but, like, Artemis, you know, you'll see, like, this sex god, this, you know, and then it's, like, you know, the god of fertility, it's a lot of sexual things, and so the church, they were, like, wow, you know, this butcher makes all this meat for them, they sacrifice for them, we're not going to eat meat from there, and so that same context, where it's, like, you say, Jay, you know, we're going to barbecue whatever you bring over, and I bring over, it's pork chops, you're, like, whoa, it's pork chops, where'd you get it? The sex butcher over there, you know, and you're like, oh my goodness, no way, we don't want this in our house. That's what Paul is saying. Beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish? For whom Christ died, you see? That's what I mean. I could could make a hardcore biblical argument that, you know what? I am right. Biblically accurate. But in application to others, 
it's without justification. Look at verse 12. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. It's very heavy words. So I go to somebody's house. And they say, yeah, you know, I read Leviticus, I read Deuteronomy. Man, I'm not going to eat that stuff anymore. I'm not going to eat shrimp. I'm not going to eat pork chops. I'm not going to eat any of that stuff anymore. They just say, okay, wait, wait, wait. Let's you know, remember our study in Hebrews. Yeah, I remember the study in Hebrews. But you know what? That's in my conscience. I just feel that it's like, okay, you know, I'll be patient. You know, I'll wait till it comes up in Scripture. I'm going to pray hardcore for you. Because remember, it's just... These are, I'm going to say something, and I don't want to sear over anybody's conscience, but I have to say it. These are the dangers of being a baby Christian. These are the dangers of being on milk and loving a steady diet of milk. Because when you grow and you mature and you matriculate into deeper things in Christ, the Holy Spirit will give you greater understanding of these things. Deep, deep, deep things. And then at the same time, you in your heart of hearts can have this immense freedom in Christ to where you know what? You can eat shrimp, shrimp tacos. You can eat pork chops. There's nothing wrong with it. Biblically, nothing wrong with it. Because remember, what we read in Hebrews 9, that in verse 9, it was symbolic. Hebrews 9, 9, symbolic. It was symbolic. Verse 10, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. Until the time of reformation. Remember when Jesus Christ died on the cross? He's hanging on the cross the Romans, the Jews were there. They said, kill it, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. Both Jew and Gentile were present. And he's on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What kind of love is that? I don't say that mockingly. I say that with... Reverence. Reverence. What kind of love? What kind of love? What kind of love says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Tore out his beard when they put a bag on his head. Our Lord, our King, our Savior, 
God's glory, God's Son, His only begotten Son. And they put a bag on his head. And they punch him. Prophesy. Who, who hit you? Who punched you? And you think about him taking a punch. And doing nothing. Think about the laughs. You know. Somebody punches him. Puts a bag on his head. Punches him. Hey, who prophesied? Tell me. You hear the jeers in the background. People laughing. Oh, that was funny. That was a good one. Oh, I got a good one for you. They punch him on the other side. Who prophesied? Or prophesied? Who hit you? They whip him. Bloody. Hears them, he hears the people cry out, the people then. He wants to redeem, and they hear him. Or he hears them, you know, we have no king but Caesar. When he's the king of kings and, and lord of lords. We have no king but Caesar. Oh, who do you want? You want Barabbas? Give us Barabbas. But he's innocent. His blood be on us and our children. What should I do? What do you want me to do to him? Crucify him. Crucify him. And then the nails in his hand, the nails in his feet, he's put on a cross. And to breathe, he has to like lift his body up. Already beaten, already. Remember sleepless night in the upper room. He didn't get any sleep that night. The disciples, they slept. They couldn't keep awake. He's already tired, physically tired, already beaten. And he has to lift up his body to breathe. The Roman soldiers stab him in the side. He sees the people, the very ones, his accusers. He sees them. He's up like on the high ground, on the cross. He sees the Roman soldiers. He said, I thirst. And jokingly, they give him wine. Like, uh, I forgot what they call it, uh, like on a sponge. But it's like, uh, a fermented drink mocking him if you're the son of God let yourself down 
And what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. See how powerful that is. That's what I mean when I say what kind of love. I don't say that mockingly. But what in the world kind of love says that? It's not of this world. I tell you the truth. It's not of this world. And people, the mockers, you know, they're like, oh, you Christians, you think, you think you, the homosexuals should be stoned? You think these people should be stoned? No, 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 no. Beloved, I should be stoned. I should be on that cross. Because the wages of my sin is death. That's why we love Jesus so much. That's why we love him so much. You see? All these things of the Old Testament, symbolic, a shadow of the things to come, imposed until the time of Reformation, Messianic restoration. He says, Father, why have you forsaken me? He's dying. Why have you forsaken me? He says, into your hands I commit my spirit. Don't forget, you know, a couple years prior to that, Satan gave him, you know, tried to seduce him. Or Satan did, you know... Uh, uh, seduce him but you know Jesus didn't take the bait and he says you know what worship me and I'll make all these people worship you I'll make you the king Satan has a type of king Satan has his own brand of royalty but you know what God's royalty is something completely different not of this world Jesus Christ says into your hands I commit my spirit he takes his last breath that storms came the earth shook and what else happened in the temple not the temple the outer shell of the temple you go inside the gate to the east you go inside the you know go up the stairs you go inside the holy place you go into that that you see the veil that the uh, the Holy of Holies, the veil that separates the holy place from the Holy of Holies. And what happens? The veil was torn. Immediately, Jesus Christ says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Takes his last breath. Boom, the storm came. The earthquake, the earth shook. You know, the Roman soldiers like, Surely this is the Son of God. But then what happens in the temple and the Holy of Holies? The veil is torn from top to bottom. The veil is torn from top to bottom. The time of reformation, the time of messianic restoration has arrived. So there's brothers and sisters that we have. Oh yeah, I don't eat shrimp. I don't eat pork. Yeah, it's, you know, scavenger. You know, the Lord wants to keep us healthy. The Lord wants, why would I defile my temple? Why would I defile my temple with this scavenger meat? Why would I eat these bottom dwellers of the ocean? 
I'm not trying to say, hey, let's let's eat the bottom dwellers, you know. But if you want to eat shrimp, you can eat shrimp. If you want to eat pork chops, you can eat pork chops. But all of a sudden, if you're of that mindset where it's like, I'm not going to eat shrimp, I'm not going to eat pork chops. And then all of a sudden I come over and I have my, you know, what what did you bring for barbecue? We're going to barbecue. And I bust open my bag. Oh, wow, this is the... The finest pork chop from Chiapas, Mexico. <laughs> like, whoa, what I'm doing is I'm hurting your conscience. I have freedom to do it. I have freedom in Christ. Biblically, I can biblically make the argument, look, I'm right, you're wrong. Biblically accurate, I could be biblically correct, but I won't be biblically justified because of the conscience of another person. A weak brother, a weak sister, for whom Christ died. That's what 1 Corinthians 8.12 is. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ, the one who died for my sin, the one who atoned for my sin. That's why I make no big deal about it. You see it all the time. People, oh yeah, I'm not going to eat. I don't eat shrimp. I don't eat pork. Okay. That's fine. I'm not going to make a big We'll eat lentils. Please. And I'm praying in my heart of hearts, you know, like have a little conversation with my heart. Like, please. <laughs> Let this be the best lentils I've ever had. Therefore, Paul says in chapter 8, verse 13, Therefore, if food makes another brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. You see, it's sacrificial love. It's to say, I care more about your conscience than I do about my freedom. Immense freedom in Christ but I care more about your conscience. Even when I can make, I'm biblically accurate, biblically right, but biblically unjustified to wound a weak conscience of a weaker brother or a weaker sister. That's the law of Christ. That is the law of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Everything. The one who died for your sin. The one who took the sin out of your life, out of your heart, and placed it on himself. So I'll I'll say this, another exhortation, maybe a little warning. Be very careful when you encounter a weaker brother or a weaker sister. (laughs) And remember these verses in uh, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 11 and 12. A lot of people, a lot of pastors even, they like knowledge. They like to be puffed up. And they like people to acknowledge them as having knowledge. Wow, this guy knows the Bible left and right. You know, therefore he is like so awesome and all these things. But who is the one like Paul? 
Yeah, you know what? I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I know the Old Testament. I know the New Testament. I know everything. Like the back of my hands, more than these, these guys are hardcore, I'm more so. But you know what? I, I'll, count, I'll count it all as you know, a loss for the sake of you. That's why those who know, know in part. It's partial knowledge. Love. Love. Sacrificial love. I mean, for Paul, I'm a meat eater. For Paul, I mean, this is like, you know, brings tears to my eyes, you know. If food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat. That's like, whoa. Lest I make my brother stumble. What is it in your life that causes another brother, another sister to stumble? So my warning, it's not a really a warning. Well, maybe it is. It's to say, you know what, be careful. Be careful because, you know, you have immense freedom in Christ. Freedom to do this, that, whatever. I'll tell you, like in marriage, this is greatly, greatly exemplified, easily put into practice in marriage. A very, you can exercise these things in marriage. Where you know a spouse doesn't like certain things. A husband or wife doesn't like certain things. It's not for the husband or wife to say, Oh, you know what? Get over it. Get over it. You're such a moral. You know, we're free in Christ. I'm free to do this. I can watch this on TV. Get over it. I can listen to this on the radio. Get over it. You know, we have freedom in Christ. Get over it. Be very careful. Be very, very careful. Because of these words. What Paul says in verse 11 of chapter 8, 1 Corinthians. Because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died again? Because what you're doing, get over it. I can watch this, you know, no big deal. Yeah, I like to watch these sports games. Yeah, they show the cheerleaders on TV. But you know what? Get over it. It's no big deal. Yeah, the girls dressed like this. Get over it. Be careful. Oh, yeah, I like to listen to this music. They rap about this. They rap about that. Pfft, who cares? Get over it. What does the Bible say? When you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience... Pause there for a moment. I'll say, Selah. You sin against Christ. Selah. Consider your ways. It's hardcore. But you know what? There's no better life than the hardcore life. Be hardcore, be a warrior. So let's go back to Acts now. Acts chapter 10. In Acts 10, look what's happening here. In Acts 10. In verse 16. This was done three times. 
And the object was taken up into heaven again. So remember, the Lord was giving him a vision. And it was like a picnic. You know, the, the, the sheet comes down, has all this food on it. Creeping things, wild beasts, animals of the earth, four-footed animals, you know, birds of the air, creeping things. It's like, whoa, those are, those are unclean. I'm not going to eat that. And the Lord says, what God has made clean, you must not call unclean. In verse 17, now, while Peter wondered, while Peter wondered, this is kind of an interesting word. It translates, it, it's, it's to be nonplussed. I had to like, I was like, nonplussed, what's that? So I did Google it, you know, what does nonplussed mean? It's to be unsure about what to do. A state of, uh, you know, you're, you're not sure what to do. Like you have a, a I don't know, like, uh, how can I give an example? Like, uh, I don't know, say, say you're walking in the store and, you know, somebody slaps you in the face and, you know, old lady comes and slaps you in the face. <laughs> it's like, it didn't hurt. You know, it kind of jolted you, got your attention and you're like, who are you? You know, like, I don't even know who you are. Like, what, what's, what's happening here? What's that all about? It's like, there's this stimulus, but like, you know, I have no idea what direct, like, kind of like a deer in the headlights kind of thing. Like, what, what, what do I do? What, I don't get it. That's what this word is. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision, which he had seen meant, behold, the man, it's kind of like, the meanwhile kind of blends in with the now. Behold, the men who had been who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house. It's so cool. You see this in God's timing? How God is orchestrating these things. He's putting these things into motion. You know, he puts these things into motion, says, Hey, Cornelius, send three guys over here, send send men over here. He's like, Okay, Lord, in obedience he does it. He says the, the servants and then his attendant. And he says, okay, go over here. Get, this is what the Lord told me. Now go. You see, like uh, 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 Cornelius had intimacy with the Lord. And his intimacy, you know, he gives instructions to other people. Kind of, you know, just like what we see on, on uh, the, the blueprints that the Lord gave to Moses. Moses has intimacy with the Lord. Moses gives it to the people. You have intimacy with the Lord. You give it to the people. It's not to get puffed up in knowledge. You know, and then at the same time, look what happens here. It says, uh, uh, so you see, like the, the, the three, the entourage of three, knocking on doors. Oh, where's Simon, you know? Where's Simon's house? Remember verse six. It says, you know, the, the lodging with, with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. So they, they knew they had to go to, uh, you know, Joppa. And they knew they had to go somewhere in Joppa, one of the neighborhoods that's near the sea. So they're going, where, where's, where's Simon's house? And here they are, right here. And they're standing at the gate. Verse 17 says, and stood before the gate. The three have arrived. They're now there. You see how that works? God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. Never, ever, ever forget that. In verse 18, it says, and they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision. So, like, you know, it says that in, uh, um, uh, in verse 10, that it's a trance or to be like in, in ecstasy, a state of ecstasy. Not what Satan has, you know, corrupted. 
You know, that's worldly. But this ecstasy, his mind was elsewhere. His mind was on deep heavenly things. And the Lord was showing him. It says here in verse 19, while he thought about the vision, the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. So I love this so much. Because Peter wondered. Peter wondered, what is this about? Remember his state of like a deer in the headlights. What was that all about? Like, like, like the old lady slapping you in the, the grocery store. Like, I don't even know who you are, lady. What's this about what I did to you? It didn't hurt, but, you know, it's okay. But what's that all about? It's kind of like that he's nonplussed. He's like, oh, like a deer in the headlights. And the Holy Spirit said to him, spoke to his heart. Behold, three men are seeking you. You see, the Holy Spirit now is moving to the Gentiles. And Peter, he has all these questions. He's nonplussed. He wondered in verse 17. And now the Holy Spirit is giving guidance. I say this with such specificity. You know why? Because a lot of people, they go into ministry and they have no idea like, okay, what happens? I mean, I, I got to admit, I'm kind of like that too. You know, I have no idea what I'm doing. It's like, you know, I shouldn't say it like that, but it's like, you know, the Lord spoke to my heart, says, get a place and put chairs in there, open up your Bible and teach. That's it. Those are the specifics that I received. It's like, okay, Lord, I'm going to do exactly that. And it's so cool because it's like, man, just keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on the Lord and do that for all of your days. And you know what? He'll give you instructions. It will say, do this. What I haven't told a lot of people is that, you know, I wrestled with the Lord for a while. You know, I had a dream about being a pastor. And then, you know, I prayed and prayed and prayed. It was about three years before I actually became a pastor. And I could tell you stories about, you know, what happened. Multiple things happened to say, okay, okay, this is kind of, this is going in that direction. And I, I was terrified, freaked out, freaked out because, you know, it's to say, you know, Lord, I have plans for my life. I want to do things with my life. I want I got to go places, you know. There's this guy who's, you know, building his business over here and it's going like gangbusters. And you know what? I want to blow him out of the water. I want to destroy this guy. Not, you know, physically, but it's like, man, this guy is putting up big numbers. I'm going to just toast him. But then it's like, Lord, my will or thy will? So there's that period of time. It's like, Lord, okay, I'm going to do it, Lord. I'll do it. But Lord, I must know it's you. I have to know it's you. I don't want to do it. Of my own my own hands. Lord, it must be you. I gotta know. And the Lord spoke to me. I could tell you like series after this, like this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. A lot of different things. You'll say, Man, Jay, why didn't you become a pastor, you know, two years early? Why didn't you become a pastor, you know, like at least six months after, you know, this initial dream? Well, I was scared, okay? I was a scaredy cat. But the Lord gave me comfort. And so all of a sudden, look what happens here. This divine appointment, the pieces are coming together. The pieces are like actually seen with human eyes now. All the, Thus far, it's been like unseen with human eyes. It's just been captured in Holy Scripture. But now it's actually, you see this, this meeting coming into play. The three guys, they're right at the gate. They're right at the fence. 
Peter's on the roof. He's hungry. People inside cooking dinner or cooking lunch. And Peter's on the roof. He has his vision. He's in a trance. And he says, he's like, he wonders, well, what is this all about? And it's kind of cool because Peter, he's like, you know, like, even Peter has questions unto the Lord. When the voice came to him, you know, kill and eat, Peter's like, no, Lord. I'm not going to do it. It's unclean. And he gave him assurance. Second, twice. What God has made clean, you must not call unclean. And then the vision three times. You know? <laughs> I love that. You know, you could be afraid. You could be a scaredy cat like, you know, like I was. You could be a scaredy cat about all kinds of different things. You know what? The Lord knows. Jonah was a scaredy cat too. And it's so beautiful because what the Lord does to comfort a heart. You can be a scaredy cat. You can be anything. But it's take your heart and place it inside of the pages of Holy Scripture. That's what you do. His will. Not thy will. His will. And the Lord will give you strength. The Lord will give you courage. The Lord will give you uh, sustenance. The Lord will give you His power. The Lord will... He'll do it. And so you see what happens here. And, and you know, it's kind of interesting too because it's like, you know, God is doing the directing. There's no manipulation at all. No manipulation. Cornelius had a vision. Peter had a vision. You know, the Holy Spirit is moving. And it's, you know, all these people today who say, yeah, the Holy Spirit doesn't move like this anymore. The Holy Spirit moved like that just for 2,000 years ago. It was reserved for that dispensation. And it makes me angry. Angry. It's a big deal. Because you know why it makes me angry? It makes me sad. Because, you know, all these people, these mockers, they like to dismiss these events and say it was just for 2,000 years ago. And by doing so, they place God in a box. And on top of that, they miss out on holy things. They teach their kids. You know, they go to church. You know, the flock gets, God's people get taught these things. Oh, yeah, that was that for just that dispensation. So the parents go home and they teach the kids. Oh, yeah, that was just for that dispensation. It's not for today. What if a little girl has a dream? What if a little boy is like Samuel? You know, Mom, Dad, I'm hearing a voice. I mean, you know, that's cause for concern right there, you know. What do you mean you're hearing a voice? Well, you know, I'm praying, and I hear a voice calling my name. Mom, Dad, I had a dream. Well, let's pray about this. Let's talk about this. Let's pray, you know. So don't be afraid, you know. Don't be afraid. Let's pray. You know, or, you know, parents, oh, my mom and dad told me that was for 2,000 years ago. My pastor told me that was for 2,000 years ago. This dream you're having, baby girl, yeah, don't worry about it. It's just garbage. Uh, baby girl, my, you know, my son, you're having, the, you say you have a vision, ah, that's for 2,000 years ago. It's not for this dispensation. It's garbage, but no. You know what's so beautiful about children is you see their faith is like a rocket ship. They have like zero doubt about God. You ask adults about God, like, oh yeah, that's fairy tales. You ask a seven-year-old about God, 
like, whoa, it's like, wow, your face, it's like the most, uh, I don't know what to say, it's like the palpable form of faith is in a child, the faith of a child. That's what makes me angry. That's why I make I harp on this a lot. You know, all these people say, I was for 2,000 years ago, the Joshmo study Bible, Shmukateli study Bible, who says you can take the mark of the beast and still go to heaven, a lie from the pit of hell. And this brainiac says, oh yeah, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for this dispensation. How many people miss out on holy things? How many people of God's flock have missed out on holy things because of this carnal teaching? This teaching of man. A little girl goes there, dad, dad, a vision. I think it was a vision. I don't know. I was like in a trance and I saw these things. And you know, she might not know the Bible like you. She said, tell me, what did you see? Well, I saw this, this, this. Okay, baby girl, come here and sit on my lap. You know, close your eyes. And we're going to pray like crazy. And you pray, 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 pray. Baby girl falls asleep. And you're praying. And all of a sudden, the Lord speaks to your heart too. You see, all of God's people miss out. Because of these teachings of men. Carnal teachings. Because they dismiss the power of the Holy Spirit because of their carnal lives. The Holy Spirit has bypassed them because of their carnal lives. Just like Simon from Acts chapter 8. And they say, oh yeah, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. It's like, yes, I hear you. God is sovereign. But you know what, brother? You know what, sister? Live like it. Don't cheat on your taxes. Don't do this, uh, you know, paying employees under the table. You pay your taxes. Don't cheat the system. Don't game the system. Maybe if you stop doing that, you'll be able to see. Maybe if you stop beating on your wife and cheating on your wife, you'll be able to see and hear clearly. Maybe if you pull a needle out of your arm, Does, you know, God who's sovereign, does he permit that? Does he like that? No, live like he's sovereign. You see what happens here? Crazy. And so, like, what happens here? Look in verse 20. The Holy Spirit is giving instructions. He gave instructions to Cornelius and he's giving instructions to Peter. Arise, therefore, in verse 20. Arise, therefore, Go down and go out with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. You see, I have sent them. The Holy Spirit, God is orchestrating everything. There's no manipulation. There's nobody, no no bigwig there who says, well, if you want to be a part of what God is doing, you know, you'll go down to Joppa. You know, and Peter, if you want to be a part of what God is doing, you'll do this. There's absolutely zero manipulation by man. But what do you see? You see coordination orchestrating by the hand of God and by the power of His Holy Spirit. Go with them. Specific instructions. Go down and go with them. Doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter, in verse 21, Then Peter went down to the man who had been sent to him from Cornelius. Remember, Cornelius himself was obedient. And said, 
Yes, I am he whom you seek. For re what reason have you come? <laughs> I love Peter. For what reason have you come? And the, the Holy Spirit told him, you know, go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. <laughs> you see, Peter, you know, like inquisitive Peter, always curious Peter. Hi, guys. For what reason have you come? <laughs> In verse 22, and they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation. Does this sound familiar? Just man fears God, a good reputation. Sound familiar? Remember the choose seven men from among you who have full of the Holy Spirit and who, who have a good reputation, a good witness. Sound familiar? You see the makeup of, look at the church today. Look at the church today, the carnal church today. The five dumb virgins. It's like what we're looking at here. These are five wise virgins. Philip. Peter. And you know, I could say Cornelius, but you know, uh, he's about to be a virgin. I guess I could say it. You know, he's about to be because, you know, we're not going to get there today. But we're going to see next week what happens. So beautiful. Waiting for the bridegroom. And so, you know, is you know, this a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. You know, put yourself in Peter's shoes for a moment. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. He's a messenger of God. He's an apostle of God. He's an, an evangelist. Remember, is spreading the word of God, spreading, you know, seeds. Remember the, the in 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 the in the church when the beef arose with the the Hellenists, you know the Hellenistic uh, Christians. They're like, wow, you know this. There's a uh, support that are given to the to the widows, but they're skipping over these people. You know, apostles. What do we do? And then the apostles said, look, we're not going to leave the word of God. The Lord called us specifically to spread seed and spread the good news and share the good news. And you know what? Choose seven men from among you. Stephen and Philip were such men, and some others. So put yourself in Peter's shoes for a moment. You're an apostle, you're a messenger, an evangelist. And these Gentiles come to the gate. And verse 15, you know, don't forget verse 15 when he's wondering what this vision he had, what was it all about? And the Lord spoke to him and says, what God has made clean, you must not call unclean. And so now the ambiguity that Peter had dissipates. No longer wonders. No longer nonplussed. He's no longer a deer in the headlights. Everything becomes crystal clear. He understands completely what is happening. And the Lord is setting up a divine appointment for him to speak. That's what in verse 22, they describe, you know, when Peter said, for what reason have you come? They describe, look at the last sent the last part of the verse 22. We have to hear words from you. That's like a divine appointment, you know, I'm, I'm a salesman by trade. And a lot of times, you know, you have to, 
you know, convince people. You have to, you know, not convince, but like show them like, okay, this is what I have for you. And this is why I think it's good for you. If you want it, you want it. If you don't want it, that's fine. But this is like, it's it's already said. Somebody's saying, hey, you know what? This appointment's already made. Like we just we just want to hear what you have to say. And I say that from a salesman's perspective. What about from an evangelist perspective? When it's the good news, we want to hear what you have to say. What is the good news? You see, what is the good news? And remember, my beautiful beloved, remember this. There is absolutely zero expiration date on how the Holy Spirit moves. Zero expiration date. You won't find it in scripture. You know, people say, oh yeah, that was that for that dispensation 2,000 years ago. They're mockers. Blind and deaf. Blind and deaf. Don't listen to them. Don't heed them. Unwise to the times. Unwise for the times. Pray for them that they wake up. All these people, all my old friends. Oh yeah, God is sovereign, God is sovereign. They get sucked into this doctrine, neo-Calvinism. They get sucked into it. I don't know why, I mean, I know why. There's a plan put in motion long ago. Trickery. It's all over the place, neo-Calvinism. You know what that means? It's like, so you have the problems in the world all over the place, all around us. You have problems in the church all around us. You know what that means? We can fight in every direction. We don't have to point here and focus here. It's like, boom, we get, we're surrounded. Praise be unto the Lord. We can fight in every direction. You see? Verse 23, in closing. Then he invited them in and lodged them. So, you know, Peter says, hey, guys, come on in. You know, you stay overnight. It says, on the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So it's like now they're in Joppa, and they head north. They start walking up north, just like from Salmon Creek to Kelso, you know. So these people, a little entourage, they have the three, the original three. They have Peter and some of the brethren from Joppa, and they're going up north to Caesarea, a little 34-mile journey. They're going up north for what? Verse 22 says, to hear words from you. To hear words from you. We're going to end our study here and pick up next week and start in verse 24. And it's so powerful what is happening here. It's so cool because Peter, the apostles, the church, Cornelius, they don't miss out on what the Holy Spirit is doing. They don't miss out on what God is doing. God is establishing this divine appointment for a very specific purpose, for the good news to go forth, for the good news to be received. By this beautiful, beautiful man by the name of Cornelius. And we're going to see how the, the Spirit works. There's no expiration date. The Spirit works the same way today. To those who have ears, to those who have eyes to see. Praise be unto the Lord. We're going to end our study here. Love you guys. Miss you guys. And he is risen. God bless you.